Welcome back to For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit, and I have two very special guests this week, Dave and Tanner Mayo from FedFizz. Dave and Tanner run a very unique business that sits at the intersection of banking, fintech, and a multitude of regulatory bodies. We dig into exactly what FedFizz does, it takes a minute to get through, what the data shows us about what's actually happening in the world of banking and fintech versus what some of the surveys show us, and we get to talk a little bit about what surveys actually do show us as well, and how empathy applies to the data. It's a wonderful conversation of fintech nerdiness. Normally, I get to sit with these guys in person and have a much longer conversation, but it was good to connect with them over the phone. I learned a lot, as I always do, talking to them. I hope you do, too. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of For Fintech's Sake with Dave and Tanner. Let's start with thank you for being here. It is very exciting to talk to you guys from Kansas City as you're sitting down in Texas. How you doing today? Yeehaw. We're doing good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's let's clarify the, the two fellows that we have on here. We're talking about FedFizz, um, but that's not just one person. So Dave, you wanna you wanna start out, introduce yourself, and then Tanner, give a little little Tanner background. Yeah, I'm Dave. Uh, Dave Mayo, CEO founder. Um, I don't know exactly how many employees we have, 20-something. We try to keep it small. Uh, and we, I guess probably the best – I get asked this all the time, what does your company do? And it's the most complicated thing I can never answer. And it should be the simplest <laughs> question of all. Uh, but I'll probably let Tanner try to take a stab at that. I love it. Tanner, over to you. Hey, yeah, so I'm just Tanner, right? No no last names, no misters, right? <laughs> and uh, president of here at FedFiz, and I, I think my job is to explain what we do, as you can tell. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, see us positioned as sort of the data company. Um, we sit between banking and fintech, so we've got all the data you can dream of on the banks, right? Whether it's all the call report information or looking at things like M&A and branch data and things of that nature, and then we've also got the vendor stack for every bank and credit unit. So who's their core, their online, their mobile, all that kind of information. And we blend all that together. Uh, and then I think that really ports over into, you know, Zach, probably more of your world, right? And, and into FinTech land. So who are the sponsor banks out there? Uh, who are they using, you know, for, for various systems uh, to my previous point? And then who are their FinTechs? And who are they using for their systems? And then let's blend in some financials and look at performance on everybody. And, uh, so I think when you look at how complicated the web is, uh, that's why it's a little complicated to explain what exactly we do. So I think from a, from a data perspective, many folks look at us as a data provider, but what I believe that we do, uh, certainly at this point in time with enough years under our belt, we really turn that data into insights. Hmm. Uh, and uh, that, that probably ultimately, uh, we're answering questions that everyone has always had but we're using it, you know, from a, from a data perspective and then instead of a, a position of an opinion. And so we tend to be pretty counter to, uh, to popular opinion because we're working off of data and math. We call it truth in banking. The way I've always kind of viewed our business, that's why I can't explain the damn thing, is by, you know, let's call it channel or vertical or whatever. So like a regulator, they look at our information on the financial side. So between exams, if somebody gets in trouble, they look at our ratings, our scores, and all the financials and go, Hey, we need to bump up an exam. A CPA firm may use it for 
advisory. An M&A investment firm may look at it to try to target or help a bank target who they're going to purchase. You know, I, um, a person that wants to be a sponsor bank for fintech, hey, what do we have here and which processor should I play with and all that? We've got all the debit processors. So uh, let's say there's a giant M&A deal, Fiserv and First Data. Why would they pick First Data and why would they pick somebody else? And who is DOJ going to come to to find out who has the market share for debit processing? All of these types of different scenarios create different needs. And then we get into fintech world where, okay, it's kind of important to know who my sponsor bank's core is and what, you know, how are, how am I supposed to tie to them? Do I go through a Q2 core pro or do I do a direct API to their core? Uh, what are the debit offerings that I'm going to be processing through? Which card brand should I use? Uh, all of the backend work there. <clears throat> we just have all of this information. And so how you slice and dice and how you, you know, query and quantify is really the answer to every one of these issues or, or problems. And then what Tanner was kind of saying, we blend the data together. So knowing the debit processor for an institution is pretty cool, especially when you start tapping into what interchange is being recognized on the revenue side. And if you take that at the core level and say, okay, what core is offering a card or a, a debit processor? Which processor are they used to? Are they going through a gateway? Are they doing their own? So it, this gets pretty complicated and pretty deep. And so that's why it's kind of a tough question to answer. But what it, what we have and what we've created is taking all this information and making it usable. So you can actually figure out, you know, hey, where is the yellow brick road? Then you can follow your path to victory. Skip the hard part and the work part, Zach. The fun part for us, as far as I can quantify, I think that we're the only shop out there that has banks, fintechs and bank technology vendors as our, you know, the, all three of the groups are really our primary business. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the questions that come up day to day in the industry are how those three groups manage each other. And so that's where we get pulled in. Mm -hmm. And that's what we think is fun as hell. Well, and having the regulatory perspective on this as well, this is really the heart of the matter to me. And, and we were kind of visiting about that just a minute ago with the, the concept of, where does the regulatory burden lie? Does it lie at the fintech? Does it lie at their processor? Or does it lie at the actual sponsor bank? And we all know the answer is a sponsor bank. Yes, we do. <laughs> Speaking of our previous conversation. So that, that actually takes me back to like how we met, right? We were sitting in the NBKC boardroom in Kansas City going through a lot of data that I was truly mind blown that you guys had. And we were looking right and left. And I remember, you know, my CFO, my CEO sitting with me and we all just kind of looked at each other like, holy shit, this is kind of a keystone to the world, right? Like this is, this is data that a lot more folks should have an idea that is out there. Um, and specifically on the FinTech side was my thought, right? Because at that point I was managing Found City FinTech, kind of everything's a nail and I'm a hammer. Um, and I know that banks and credit unions are really aware of you guys and you guys have strong relationships there. And I know you have FinTech relationships as well, but it feels to me like early stage FinTechs aren't aware enough of you guys because what you're describing could save somebody a ton of time oh yeah are you like chomping at the bit to have earlier stage startups kind of come to you guys and get an opportunity to help them save some time i think it's a great point right and so for us especially you know in years past we've had the data we've had the insights and the capabilities to help early stage fintechs but if we're being honest i think that we have run into the same challenge that i think you're really now focused on solving which is you know the 
the acumen isn't typically there. You got folks that are experts at technology or maybe experts at banking, but they're experts in one group. Uh, they're not holistic, right? And the problems are very much holistic. So you get sort of vertical individuals with horizontal problems. Mm. And so it's difficult to work with those groups, right? Because you've got folks that, especially at a founder level, right? And we all tend to be a little bit headstrong, right? Yeah. And uh, believe that we know best. And uh, so that's really hard to help those folks. And so we find that until they are a little more established, and frankly, have had some of the trials and tribulations that we have all had, right? You've got to live through those struggles to be a little more humble. Uh, and that's when folks are a little bit easier to work with and a little bit more likely to listen to reason, right? <laughs> I think you're trying to solve that problem right now as well, which is interesting, right? Uh, and it's, it's a difficult one. But I will say this, as time has gone on here in the last couple of years, we have been quietly working in stealth. And I guess it's, uh, it's fair enough to announce now. We have really been working on an entire new fintech database. Uh, and we have a ton of insight coming Breaking out. News. I love it. We're and jumping so straight to this. There we go. You got it, man. A big announcement, right? <laughs> the goal with this, with this FinTech database, Zach, is to try and streamline those insights so it's a, it's less hands-on. And if you think about the concept, man, it's how do we scale consulting or scale IP or insights? It's really hard. And so we have worked a lot from the data perspective at how we build and structure data to tell data stories and very much from a data operations mindset so that we can help bring those insights and data stories in a streamlined fashion straight to the fintech company and or to the sponsor banks. Gotcha. So that's that's targeted at the banks, the credit unions, the fintech world and everybody else. I mean, it's similar to kind of your previous way of thinking about the world. Right. It, it's funny because we come up with all the data on, on, a, on fintechs and who is the most likely user of that data? Well, you would say, hey, certainly the fintechs. And then you start saying, well, shoot. You know, I think all the sponsor banks yeah. want that and, you know, as well as the large technology companies and others. So uh, you see where when we go back to the, the beginning of the conversation, Dad's saying, how the hell do I explain yeah. what we do? Right. Because everything that we do ends up turning into a big snowball. Uh, we're trying to digest complexity and it just breeds more. Right? So it's fun. Yeah. Something that's really cool here. And I, I, I talk about this all the time. It's hard as hell to teach somebody that knows everything. Yeah. And everybody in our business seems to think they know what's going on and nobody really does. And when we, we kind of take our three pillars of, you know, institutions, FinTech and regulatory. And then like we were talking about a minute ago, we take the regulatory and then we take the, what do you call the, you know, the, the tech landscape, right? So who's the core of the online, the mobile, the debit processor, credit processor, you know, who's, bill pay, all of these different things. That's what we call our FinTegration ecosystem. And we blend that together so we can take financial data and apply that to the technology stack. So if we took a core vendor, what's their market share? Well, we can also see how much money they make, you know, what what services, what types of banks, are they ag banks, what size stratifications, all that kind of thing. So we blend all this information together. Now take this third database that we've built or system that's more like an ecosystem of FinTech. And we take who's the sponsor bank, who's the fintech, who's the this, who's the that, who's the infrastructure piece for this part, who's the processor, all of that. And then we blend that together with the others. So now all of a sudden we can go sponsor bank, who do they, who are the fintechs underneath them? Or take a particular fintech or Galileo, for example, and, and analyze these guys as to, you know, or streaks and weeks between the different processors. 
are they have a are they you know a system of record as well or are they just a gateway or how you know all of this information begins to tie back together to where we can perform analytics at a level that's just never been seen before and it's pretty cool because it kind of gives you the well here's the hard way and here's the easy way right I just need to know what are you trying to get done you want to offer a card you want to offer this what are you trying to do and so what this has really done for us, we've never really, hell, now I can't, I don't think we've ever done marketing. It's just the phone rings off the wall. That said, it's beginning to ring off the wall from the fintech world as well as the VC world. Mm. They want to protect their investment. Uh, and when you talk about the incubators, accelerators, likewise, people coming out of there have figured out, oh, better first call you better make is these guys because they'll help you get into these institutions or build the right distributorship or partnerships necessary to get there. All of this ecosystem is laid out, and so what are you know? What is your offering? What is your product? And a lot of times, we run into people that well, this is what our product is, and this is what it does, and this is what we've been told we should do with it. And we look at it and go, no, 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 that's not what your product does. This is what your problem it solves. That's where you need to attack from. You actually <laughs> grow deposits with that product, and they're like, oh wow, I thought it was a PFM. It's like no, it's a deposit growth. And here's how you would go about putting that in. Yeah. So is it like, a, it's almost like it's, it's data with a tinge of empathy almost. Is that fair? Like it's, it's data, but you guys are taking it and putting filters on it and creating that specific use case that is actually going to help the person on one side of the table understand the person on the other side of the table. Because that's, that's the thing that I come back to with you guys. That's so funny is the juxtaposition of like, you guys are just like, I learned so much about relationship building and just how much of community banking is relationship centric from you guys. But also you talk more about data than anybody else. And there's just this juxtaposition of data and relationships that's just really interesting with you guys. Tanner's famous line, surveys are bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well, surveys are bullshit. But also, Zach, I look at whether we're talking about business or personal, uh, how much do we need? Well, we need enough, you know? Sure, I need to get paid, but I don't need to be greedy. And so our internal, amongst our team, our general rule about mm. how to approach things is give two to get one. And we look at it like we're good enough to give two and we only need to get one, right? And so when you talk about relationships, what a lucky position, right? You work hard enough and you do well enough that you're in a spot where you get to have friends all over the place and you're taking care of everybody and just having a great time and still being wildly successful. I think that ultimately is should be everybody's goal, right? And we have worked so hard so many years, you know, look, we don't have outside capital. We own it completely. You know, you're talking to the, the two folks on the board, right? And uh, so from our perspective, um, bootstrapping everything over years, we mm. are afforded ethics, right? We don't need to, to cheat steal and be the bad guys. And we don't have any investors to answer to. So when we talk to somebody, you know, who's a, a good guy out there working hard and they need a favor, they need some help, yeah. we, we can do that. Yeah, you want to work here. There's a couple of couple of rules, you know, A, don't lie to people. Tell the truth, and it's okay to say I don't know. Because if we don't know it, nobody does. <laughs> and so I feel pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. Give two to get one. That concept comes back to, okay, you've got, you know, I, I always tell the story about the guy who was trying to sell the first smartphone to a guy at IBM who had 3 million flip phones at $15 a phone. That's a hell of a hard sell. It's a late need. Nobody understands they even need it. And then when they do, they're like, oh, my God. Well, the next question is, how can I be sure this works? 
well, why don't we just give it a little test run, put some money in your pocket. So we're able to take friends and companies and little guys and help them out, put some money in their pocket. And then they're like, I get it. It works. Now, how do I buy more? And so that give two to get one kind of concept is it's basically just been a winning hand for us. We don't have to. Okay. You guys don't get mad at me, but all of the, the technology salespeople in the world, are the, they're the greatest liars of all time. I mean, they'll tell you what it'll do and what's on our roadmap and all that's bullshit until you get it done. It isn't there. And we all know that in tech, right? So yeah, you, the idea yeah. that I'm supposed to give you something that's well, going to make you money is the oldest myth of all time. So well, why don't we just put it in your hands and let you make some money with it first, then pay for it. The the ethos of bond is very similar. So I totally agree. Um, listening to you guys talk though, I, I have a question that I've never asked you. How the hell did this thing get started? Like, how did you fall upon this idea? Like, how did you kind of, I mean, you've gone through so many iterations of it. I'm sure getting the data at the first was a, a bitch. I mean, just how, how did this start? It's like the Beverly Hillbillies. He's out shooting for food one day and hits the ground and that pops oil and next thing you know, you're rich. So kind of worked out like that. I, uh, I always kid around with all the other old gray haired CEO guys that I'm a hell of a lot smarter than y'all are. And the reason being, because I'm smart enough to recognize good talent and give them the ball. I, I want Adrian Peterson to run the football. I want to take the quarterback and put the ball in his hands in overtime. Uh, and for us, to have, you know, we built the very first, there were just books of data and then software came along in the eighties. And then, so we converted and created the first financial database of banking. So all of that is kind of where we got started cutting our teeth and creating ratios and solving problems on M&A on different ways to look at a market, a you know, Fed defined market and just, you know, radius reports and all kinds of new things that we came up with along the way. Okay. Okay. Cause it sounds it's all like this data science stuff, you know, I mean, it's all this, all you're talking about all this stuff that's like, so 2020, but yeah. the dates and times that you're talking about when it started, like, you know, it's Jobsian in its own way. Kind of like you said. Oh, he invented it, man. Yeah. I, I always laugh, right? He, he makes me look like the smart guy. I'm like, you invented banking data. You realize that. Yeah. I'd love to oh, take full yeah. credit for that, but there was a couple of other guys that helped out. They're just, they passed away and they moved on. So, uh, God rest their souls. Mark Rodebush, amazing person. But uh, me and him and a couple others that uh, put all this together and kind of got the ball rolling. So data science, yeah, I think we kind of created all that. Uh, and so over time, we get to a point where we can capture and find new ways to do things. And there's a lot of information out there that, you know, based on partnership relationships or based on hard information and soft information combined together, which you know, put together mm -hmm. in today's words uh, is called AI, right? So that's kind of how you get there. And uh, so we kind of cut our teeth on all that. Think about it as rules-based logic, right? And so we built this super engine we call Enigma. Uh, and we, we're not the vendor out there screaming AI, right? Another fad word, we'll see, you know? Um, but you got to watch those words. Oh, it's a slippery slope in banking too, right? In my experience, like if you say AI out loud to a community banker, they'll generally roll their eyes and walk the other direction. Well, I remember you could say fintech to a community bank and you'd get run yeah, out of the room. Fair and, enough. And maybe not becoming a good thing. So yeah, we watch our terminology, but, but we absolutely, uh, you know, about five years ago built just an incredible engine 
Uh, and it does a lot for us on the capture side, but we do bring in uh, what we call finagration experts. So we have just superhuman rock stars, you know, with tons of experience in different verticals of the industry, right? So it might be core processing or, you know, myself with mobile banking background, et cetera, or somebody from cars that is sort of a product owner over those various data sets. That's how we carry the, you know, just shy of 100% accuracy when everybody else out there, you know, hey, we're not the only game in town. It's just that everybody else is 50 or 60% accurate. Well, if I'm yep. half wrong, I might as well not do it, right? It probably leads me to a worse conclusion than if I didn't do anything. So high level of accuracy is critical. And the way that we get that with this Enigma machine and, you know, expert humans, right? Uh, applying IP to software. And then that rules concept, Zach, right? It's, I know A and I know B, I can solve for C. And here's where it gets incredibly interesting. If I know A and I know AB, right. uh, at 100% accuracy, I can solve for C. But in the competitive landscape, you know, somebody has mediocre accuracy, they can't use that to build additional data sets. So by being just, we, we call ourselves perfectionists, right? About getting that perfection level of accuracy, we're able to build data sets from data sets that still maintain that high level of accuracy, which is how we're able to answer every question out there, right? But as you imagine, you know, what dad, 40 years from your side to build and, you know, 10 or 15 from mine. Yeah. And it, this is so much easier to explain if you just think of this like in, like in regular old cowboy terms, right? All right. So there's precision information and there's non-precision and then there's flavors of non-precision. This is 50%, that's 80%. This is why I get frustrated with surveys and people that claim they have data they don't. They're 15% populated and 50% mm -hmm. wrong. Man, you can't be in this business if you're not 100% because you either have it or you don't. And so that's where a lot of people are like, well, we found another vendor. I'm like, I'll see you in a couple of years because you will come back. I have no doubt. And, uh, and, but here's the deal. So, so how does this really work, right? So you got a Ford wheel and a Chevy wheel. Well, everybody knows there's different lug nuts and they don't really bolt up right. So certain things bolt up right and certain things don't. And if you know a little bit of history, like how did we get to this debit card thing? Well, it kind of started along with one day there was a guy that said, so many people come to the bank, if we could put a machine outside that would cash checks, wow, or allow people to get yeah. money out of their bank account. And then somebody was even smarter and said, why don't we just not have it at the bank and we could put it everywhere. And then it was like, well, if we could do that, why don't we just allow people to like buy stuff at the store with their ATM card? We'll call it a debit card. The evolution of the technology. And if you understand the transactional and how it really works, well, it uncovers everything. It's just nobody's smart enough to really see all that because they're not old enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you've got people that are just literal experts at certain things. And then what happens in these big corporations? Well, hell, they know everything. They can't listen to anybody. Take your experts that know everything about payments, everything about mobile, everything about online, everything about core, and listen. You'll learn a lot. And then take your precision data and your qualifications of non-precision data and feed that into our system, which we tongue-in-cheek call Enigma. Well, it's funny, Zach, you, you've got sort of a, you know, a new class of folks that have, you know, been in the industry a handful of years and really the fintech space. 
brilliant folks, but very much, you know, in a, with a disruptive mindset, right? And then you've got, you know, what I think everybody would look at is the legacy side. And these sides are at odds and community banks are somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, and it's this, it's like we have this big clash going on. In reality, I look at it and I'm like, everybody's right. Everybody's yeah. wrong. Uh, the history book is very important. Um, and you could find, you know, some of the, the more legacy providers or legacy folks that, Without them, you would step in the fire 50 times. And likewise, the new people have some really great ideas. If you paired the two groups together, you got something special. And I think, you know, for our side, that's a pretty strong theorem that we've taken on. We've got a lot of young, you know, hotshot technology types. And then we've got, you know, some old ancient analysts like uh, the other old guy on the phone here. So, <laughs> but you can see, I mean, look at me and dad, right? You know, we, we argue like... Uh, uh, a couple a mar- old married couple, you know, but yeah. that's, that's the process. We have fun with it, you know? <laughs> and so he's arguing from, you know, what he knows and I'm arguing from what I've seen. And the truth is somewhere in between the two of us. When we reach that together. I think that's what we as an industry need to be focused on as well. It's not uh, who's right and wrong. It's we're all trying to solve problems, you know, let's stop the finger pointing. And we're all kind of talking different languages, it feels like, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it feels like we're saying a lot of the same stuff, but we're using different words. Like Tanner, you were just saying, I think like you watch your phrasing and I mean, that's so important, right? I mean, just the word that you you would use the same term for something in fintech and I don't have a great example, but it feels true at like a 50,000 foot level that you would in community banking, but you would just be talking past each other. Do you guys, I mean, I feel like you guys are probably just running into that right and left. A great example. I can give you two quick ones. What's a core processor? Uh, is that a payment core or is that a core core? There's a difference. Yeah. And half the people don't know there is a difference. Here's another one. Why do we call them sponsor banks when most people call them partner banks? Because if you go to the settlement and follow the settlement path, they call it a sponsor bank when they do this, the bin issuance. So there's, mm-hmm. there's reasons why things should be named and categorized and classified a certain way. And if you'll follow that, that's when you begin to start seeing things reveal themselves. When Zach, it was probably 2011 or 2012 when we were really getting rolling at Malazai on the mobile banking side. And I remember a lot of banks, that was really when the word fintech started popping up and you know, bankers asking us or, or positioning us as a fintech. We're having internal conversations of, you know, hey, I, I guess we are a fintech, you know, financial technology, this makes sense. And then shortly thereafter, as we all know, with, you know, uh, alternative lending and such, that became sort of a dirty term. From our side today and with our our conference and our roundup, we call it FI FinTech, the FI FinTech roundup. So our view is that you've got, you know, let's just broadly term FinTech as, you know, anybody that is, you know, not living under a charter, right? So they're going to need a partner bank. And that could be, you know, in a challenger disruptive way or very much in a partner way. And I think, you know, these days we all see there's there's a lot more good fintech than than challenging fintech from a banker's perspective. So more opportunity than than pain. And then likewise, if we're talking about a bank vendor, uh, somebody who, you know, provides systems and services to banks, that's what we call FI fintech, right? It's bank fintech. It's technology for them. And so that's how we've always looked at this. And it's a real nice, easy way at the sort of the top of the hierarchy to split things out. But you want to drill in from there, it gets, uh, there's a lot of terminology, right? And so it depends on who you're talking to. And we've actually figured out from our side 
how to speak multiple languages. You know, to his point, uh, talking about a core, if we're talking to Visa or MasterCard, uh, that's a very different conversation than if we're talking with, you know, Pfizer or FIS, right? And uh, so yep. over the years, we've figured out that there's just simply different dialects and we need to speak them all. I, I did not prep you guys for this question at all, but I'm just super curious. What grinds your gears? Like what, what is it that you guys hear on the phone regularly, especially like from a fintech side that you're like, oh, dear God, stop fucking saying that. Like, <laughs> stop saying that. Say this. Like anything pop into your head as far as that goes? Yeah. Open API is the one that gets me. That, yeah. I'm just tired of everybody waiting on some, you know, we're going to show up at the Ruby slippers, click three times and we're back in Kansas. I mean, wake up, man. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. And how is it going to happen? Well, Where, like from your perspective, because that is such a done. buzzword, right? And it's, it's been done a long okay. time ago. Just, Expand on that. Uh, I'm not sure if I can. Tanner, can we? <laughs> can we expand on that? The, the API <laughs> connectivity conversation leads me to this question of interoperability, right? If you look at yeah. the hierarchy of systems, right, you got core at the top and then you've got heavy systems like online, you know, digital banking products, lending products, account opening, process, card processing, they're all in these interface, right? And then you get to the next click down, right? Point solutions like bill pay or item processing, PFM, et cetera, those types of things that need to interface up, right? Well, that creates this interoperability matrix that's a disaster, right? So, you know, it's whatever... One door opens, another door closes, right? That's really what we have visibility into with our data and why we, we get a lot of these questions. Well, all the APIs mm -hmm. exist at the course, right? And in theory, most of the digital banking providers, right? The Q2s, Malazis, DIs, Funds Express, Aperture, et cetera. Uh, the question is whether or not they'll they'll partner with you, right? And whether you, you, you know, bring them some level of value and if you have a mutual customer and et cetera, et cetera. The problem is not connectivity and is not a technology problem in the industry. I'm not saying that there aren't some technology walls that exist, but it's, it's, it's manageable. The problem that exists is a commercial problem, right? The, the cores, uh, you know, the various vendors, look, folks work really hard and spend fortunes building out interfaces and connectivity, grabbing market share and revenue, uh, and you show up with a shiny little widget and you think they're just going to let you jump right in, right? Without a, a pound of flesh, you know? And so the commercial problem disguised as the technology problem is, is very much what is going on and has been going on for 25 years. I mean, a long time. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. We had, uh, I can't name names or I'll get in trouble, but we had uh, the chief innovation technology person at one of the major three regulatory bodies. I'll just leave it at that. At our conference on the reg side, right? And, you know, going through the concept that you've got to uh, have three references and you have to have this much capital and, you know, SOC 2, blah, 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 to be able to get into an institution. And it was laughable that that conversation is going on in a room full of people that know how to do it. And mostly because they're our customers. But at the same time, it's like, okay, just out loud say, you must have three references to get your first bank. Now, how stupid is that? I asked the question, Zach. I said, how do baby fintechs get born? Where do they come from? Right? right. <laughs> years old to be in this tall to ride this ride. How do they get born? 
Yeah, it's like the you need five years of experience for your first job out of college. Like, wait, what? Yes. And so I asked that question. You could see this puzzled look, and everybody started chuckling in the room because all of us that have done it for years know exactly how to do it, right? And look, you got a, a startup. Your your financials are terrible, right? Uh, the the bank would never buy from you because they'd never lend to you, right? And so you go and partner with somebody who's got good paper and you ride their paper and you ride their interfaces and, and things like that. Uh, that way you can get around liabilities and everything else. And that's how it's been done forever. And I brought that up and it was just this look of shock and terror of wait, what? And uh, we had some folks stand up in the room, you know, pointing out to that, uh, that regulator of this is how screwed up it is. The governing body and you didn't even know that's how it was being done. Yeah. CEO of one of the cores, man, this is great. He stood up and he looked at her and he said, hell, I can look at, tell the look on your face. You have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> this is great, man. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is the chief innovation technology. But, but that's the scope, right? And so back to my previous point, Zach, it's you've got very vertical people and vertical knowledge bases, but incredibly horizontal problems. So if you looked at, remember a few years ago, there's this really strong theme of platformification and it really finally hit banking. Yeah. What we're looking at right now is the platformification of data and of people, right? Of people's knowledge base. Just because I'm a card or a you know payments expert doesn't mean that I don't need to understand digital banking. And that is very new. That did not exist until the last five years. Uh, and I think, you know, dad and I both feel fortunate from our previous lives, right? We've, we've been kind of bounced around through lots and lots of things. I tell people we're not as smart as we look. We've just made every mistake there is to make, <laughs> but having those different purviews and then using that to come up with all of this data, what's really funny, you would laugh, Zach, I wish you could have been there. When we finally got all this data created, you know, five or six years ago and sat down and really started mining insights out of it, we're like, my goodness, right? We thought we were so clever to create all this because it was going to answer all these questions. And we really found out, you know, we were way off. Even, even we had no idea that these were the answers because this industry is so counterintuitive. It is so much different than, uh, you know, the, the nose on your face concept. When you actually look at the data, uh, you got to go through some, some pretty heavy math to figure out why things are the way that they are. And it's always some weird little edge case that you never would have thought of, right? Uh, and so when people have comments of, you know, branch banking is dead or, you know, whatever the topic is, uh, and then we see what's happened, you know, with, with Brett King of late, right? That was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> again, breaking banks all over day. Yeah. Breaking banks. Yeah. And he made it three weeks into COVID. Um, so, I mean, the concept, <laughs> are you talking are. about moving or breaking banks? Actually did breaking banks. No, stop? no, he, no, no, we're not talking about the podcast. We're talking about the concept. Okay. You're talking about moving. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it's funny and terrible at the same time because things seem like everybody must be so foolish. Right. But when you actually look at it and track the math, the, the only opinion that I know that I have is that I don't know. Right. I'm, I'm not certain until we dig into the data and the math on any new concept and everything is counterintuitive. Well, and that, that right there, you know, back to, you know, what grinds your gears and all that kind of stuff. One of the fundamental factors of what you've got to do is throw away what you think, you know, and that is hard for people to do. Self-intervention. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we call it self-intervention where you've got to be set with a new set of facts to go. Okay. 
I thought I knew how to get to Dairy Queen, and now I've got this GPS that's telling me if I'll take the back road, I'll save 30 minutes. It's like, well, damn it. I never knew that. But I have a new set of facts. I was talking to uh, Amber Booker over at Bank Director, and she's writing a, a cool piece on sort of, you know, the, the mobile banking features. And we got into, you know, obviously COVID, PPP, et cetera. And she's asking for some numbers and things for me. And I was talking about this concept of self-intervention and that, you know, you, you sort of have to use data to reset your mind and get to a concrete foundation, you know, convince yourself that you're not as smart as you think you are. Right. And we all have to do this. And I rattled a couple off for, I'll give me these guys. I just pulled them last week. So thinking about COVID and, you know, branches are closed, et cetera. Well, if you didn't have online account opening, I mean, what are you going to do, right? If they're going to walk into the branch and have a piece of paper, did you not open an account for months? So we reached the chart right. on account opening and around a billion in assets, Zach, uh, it looks about 50-50 that have account opening. You know, north of a billion is more, south of a billion is left. And, you know, about 500 million in assets and below, it's really, really sparse for those institutions that have it. Here's another one. And that's just specifically consumer, Correct. right? I mean, we're not talking nope. commercial. Okay, because those numbers are really that's depressing. Well, <laughs> yeah. so I, I further. I'm like, hey, if I can't even open an account, how am I going to get a loan, right? And you know every banker out there is looking at you know, lending systems coming out of this. It's, it's damn sure a hot topic. 13% yeah. of banks have an auto loan origination system. Now, that's a you – know, Online. Online, right? I'm not saying that they don't okay. have a phone number or a document, but sure. a, an online presence where you can go and, and originate an auto loan. 13% of banks, 25% of banks have a mortgage LOS. That Wow, that feels so, so, so low. Feel, That's wild. My, my funny point here is do you feel self-intervened, right? I'm running the data for Amber, and I'm like, I feel like uh, an idiot, and I live in this shit all day. Right. Yeah. But I think that's what we all have to do. We have to use hard data and facts and work from there to build opinion. Yeah. But we're building opinions off of nothing or surveys. So let's talk for a second about the user experience in your mobile app. Who gives a shit? If you can't open an account and you can't book a loan, man. Right. So the digital transformation everybody's talking about is, man, that was 10 years ago. The user experience, yeah, yeah, I can turn my card on and off. So what? Uh, I can get my my account balance as soon as my app comes up. So what? Can I perform a function that I need to perform? Yeah, and an actual pain point and solving it. Yeah. Right. It's not the user experience. It's it's the you know the feature fight and the function fight of, on mobile. They're all the same. It's all been over for a long time. But you listen to the talking heads and, man, they're going to take surveys on who has the best app or who has the most likes in the app store. None of that stuff's relevant at all. When you see the real numbers like what Tam was just displaying there, man, you start seeing the real problem and go, holy cow. Well, let me back up your opinion there, right? So 2013, 2014, that was the customer experience journey digital banking wars was in 2013 and 2014. And unfortunately for most of us today, right, FinTech didn't really pop off till shortly thereafter. And so, you know, a large portion of the folks in the industry today weren't here in 2013 and 2014. They arrived just after the war. And so they're sitting around, you know, writing articles and talking about the customer experience and the war to come, and it's already been fought. 
So yeah, I feel very seen, Tanner. I was in college at the time that you're talking about, and I had no clue what I was talking about. I mean, you're you're talking about me. I'm only a, a couple of few years older than you, man. So I'm just on the other side. I'd showed yeah. up, you know, 2010 or so. So I'm in that same boat. I was I was definitely one of the young guys, and uh, so me and mobile banking yeah. grew up together, right? But in looking at the data, I'm gonna just this off the cuff, guys. But 15, 20 percent churn of banks in 2013 and 2014. So you had probably a third, if not a little bit more of the industry that made a digital switch in online and mobile. And if we wanted to just for the sake of our conversation, call that bank digital transformation, right? Online and mobile, pretty heavy. We had about a third of the industry rollover in those two years. These days, south of 10%, right? More like 5% churn. Uh, So you're talking about digital transformation if, if you call digital transformation online and mobile, because that we all know everything is tied to those platforms in this industry, banking, sure. uh, it's 75% less today than it was, you know, eight years ago. The war is over and it's already been fought. Now, I'm not saying, nor would I, that, uh, that, you know, the outcome of the world was a good one or everybody has some great solutions or systems, but, you know, that was when the big shift in uh, vendors happened. And so, you know, when I start an online or a mobile banking company today, of course not, right? You're going to go to business, man. It's a terrible idea. It's just a really tough time. And innovation is needed so badly. Again, back to the horizontal, not the vertical. Uh, you need to be tying yep. your digital banking into lending or tying digital banking. One that's going on right now a lot is digital banking vendors working on account opening, right? Everybody's got one now. Again, that was shit. That was pre 2012, right? With uh, you know Andera and others that really rock and rolled that market. The core integration required is so heavy; uh, it's going to be tough, and it's he- typically considerably heavier than most of your online and mobile banking vendors will have. Right. So check it out. This opens up massive opportunity for fintech, and the people that are sitting there going, "Yeah, I knew as soon as we had a bad time, fintech would be over." Whoa, whoa, whoa! It's just a, it's the eye of the storm. That's all, man. It's, it's coming like a tidal wave, and it isn't going to stop. The regulators have made it to where pretty much any – you don't have to be a bank to be a bank anymore. You can make loans. You can do debit. You can do account opening. You do all kinds of things. The, the piece of the pie that gets so interesting is right where you guys sit. Because if I was to take a picture of a debit card and open an account, I broke every law there is. And a fintech guy goes, but it's faster. These stupid banker guys. And it's like, no, they're not stupid. It's just they're trying to follow rules. Now, if you can find a way to do this to where you can follow the rules and do it faster, that's the key innovation point. That's not when we talk about total addressable market. We talk about total attainable market. Now you've got something. Yep. You've got a real thing now. Both groups are right. And somebody needs to sit between them and get like a, a mediator, man. You know, don't let the tech guy yell at the banker or vice versa, right? You guys need to be friends and you both have valid points and the truth lives in the middle. I think that's right where you guys Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, Zach, tell me when you guys were going through things at, at Fountain City and MBKC that compliance you know, we added 50,000 accounts this month or new cards or whatever, and we've done our settlement, everything jives and it reconciles and it's cool. And then somebody comes along and says, can I see the documentation? Did you follow KYC? Did you follow Reg E? Did you do Reg DD? I mean, where are we here in the documentation 
regulatory examination process, that's when everybody grits their teeth and goes, oh, my God, it's the regulators. We're in so much trouble. Yeah. Or are we? I'm just voraciously nodding my head up and down over here. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's I think we were talking before Tanner hopped on. That's, you know, a big part of what we're trying to go zero to one on at Bond is just like it is unbelievable how disjointed all of the communication channels and, you know, the actual audit trail is and good God almighty. I mean, and, and to your point, Tanner, somebody we're both sides are right. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I saw from fountain city through bond. And I see it even more clearly through bond now that, I mean, it's truly a piece of software that sits between banks and fintechs and, you know, facilitates that relationship. So I'm just seeing, I'm seeing kind of like we talked about earlier, like both sides, talking past each other a lot of the time yep. and in agreeance, right? Like we're all on the same page. We're just like speaking slightly different languages on that same page. But you can't even see the problem until you get punched in the nose by it. And when you're in yep. there sitting there going, okay, the regulators are here and they just asked me all these questions and I'm walking into you asking you to answer them for me. And you look up and go, I have no idea what the hell you're even talking about. Okay. Now we got a problem. Well, which once is you've experienced the problem, now you can go about trying to solve it. That's where, you know, Bond comes in and, and can say, okay, we've experienced this problem. We get it. This is the missing link that makes this thing go smooth. So check it out. If we get to a point to where we could take a sponsor bank, let's say we just took a regular old bank, First National Bank of Nowhere, USA, and we can go <laughs> yep. to that guy and say, I got a cool fintech dude over here that – you know, all the Instagram followers are saying you should follow these people and get in a card and account or make a loan or whatever, right? Something really shiny. And I would like to bring it to your institution. How does mm -hmm. he do that? And until we can make every bank in America fintech ready and they have the pieces and parts necessary to plug in a fintech, the fintech guys should do what they do best. And they're not necessarily regulatory bank compliance people. They're tech people. Let them do what they do best. Build cool interfaces. Build neat stuff to solve unique problems. Where, where I've been focused, and Dad, I'm shooting across your bow here, man. I, I think the problem is, who are the bankers supposed to trust, right? Look, we're, how what, 70 years into bank technology, and they've just been railroaded by everybody, right? All their friends have turned out to be the bad guys, lying and cheating and stealing, right? And so every relationship is bad so then then you look to the associations right and you know that that's a whole nother ball of worms i won't get into right but there's lots of trouble there there's very few organizations out there that are really have the bankers best interests that are not morally bankrupt right that also have the acumen to tackle these things i think a good example dad is like our friends at ibat right chris and julie they their heart is in the right place their head is in the right place and they're taking the right steps they're educating and bringing those things down to the banks. We need more of that in the industry. Let, let, let me say it another way. I'll give you a comparison and I'll probably go to jail for this. You got people out there like the people you just mentioned at IBAT. They are not for sale. Their ethics are not for sale. They are here to save community banking. Then we have other people. Uh, you know, so, you know, some of the big PR firms, you know, William Mills, different lines, there, the rest of them. And then what's your business model? Well, you pay William Mills money and they'll promote your product. And that's what they're supposed to do. It doesn't mean it's a good product. It doesn't mean the product is, will do what it said it did. That's not their job. Right. 
That's not what they're supposed it's to the do. The same as the consulting now, model. It's maybe not an ethical issue, but it damn sure should be something that people consider. That what is good here? I think we have a responsibility, and I keep pounding the table on this. Man, I can make this thing easy. Let's just put all the money in one bank and put all the technology in one core, and we're done here. But if you really want to do something that's right, do it in a way to where you can have more and more community banks. That means more and more customers for you, more and more choices for the consumer, and less and yep. less risk of our overall systemic risk. When you know, having everything bundled up into bigger is better is a terrible idea in banking. But what we're talking about ultimately is that the problems are too complicated for anybody to be an expert at everything, right? Now look at yourself being a community yep. bank. Oh my goodness, right? I gotta be an expert at everything. And so I'm gonna have to lean on my friends, my partners and relationships. Well, when those those friends and partners sellouts, you have a real problem. And I think we've seen a lot of that and to your point, Dad, whether it's you know, media firms, uh, it's sort of the journalism side of the world, it's the consultants particularly or the associations. Uh, you know, you have, you know, consultants and things that come in and advise you, you know, hey, look at these vendors. Well, those vendors are, are giving them a, an envelope full of money after the deal is done, you know, and I mean, we've all seen it all over yeah. the place. So the opinions are bought and paid for. And I think what we're trying to say from our side, Zach, I'm not trying to have a debate about whether or not the opinions are bought and paid for. That race is run. That one's laughable, right? What I'm trying to fight on is saying, let's get rid of opinions entirely and let's work off of data and math. And again, we call it truth and banking. I couldn't lie to you if I wanted to because I got my own data that would expose me. I couldn't lie if I, if I tried. I think we all need to make steps to be uh, a little more visible in that manner. Yeah, well, to, to say that a different way, when you have been misled, lied to, uh, someone told you, paid, you know, I'll just say a consultant gets paid 15% or whatever by the vendor every time. And they get weird. That consultant put that guy in every, the last 12 institutions in a row. Now, come on, man, everybody, but everybody can see what's happening. But back to, you know, so you get to this real key point of responsibility. And then, you know, you have to be trusted if you're going to give advice or show people anything yep. that's going to be, Hey, here's something good for you. Drink a little cyanide every day and it'll make your, 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 you know, your hair grow longer. Excellent. That's going to kill you, buddy. All right. So I've got to be able to trust these people. Well, we done figured out not being the smartest guys in the world, but a couple of cowpokes are like sitting here watching this whole thing go along and go, you know what? Enough carpetbaggers come along and lie to everybody and nobody's going to trust anybody anymore. So how are, do we help? How do we get this problem solved? Two plus two still equals four, and at high noon, the sun's high in the sky, and it's dark at night. These are facts. you got to work off math. So we just set up systems and integration points and databases and ecosystems that allow us to do the math. Man, I'm not telling you who's good or who's bad. I'm just showing you who's this and who's that. <laughs> yeah, and ultimately, Zach, where that ends us up, Look, one of the biggest things that I've probably worked on the last two years, just 100 miles an hour, there's lines out the door, whether it's at sponsor banks with fintech standing in line trying to get a sponsor bank or it's, you know, big vendors and everybody's trying to get a partnership. Vetting partners is a nightmare, right? It's this giant hamster wheel. 
And so everybody knows from our side, I got all the data on everybody. I know everybody's customer list. I got the KPIs on the performance of their products across their bank customers. I mean, it's this is not hard, right, to choose vendors. So you can imagine from our side, we're laughing at, why do you need a consultant, right? We got math. Uh, don't let a consultant lie to you. Don't be sold to. Various vendors looking for, you know, hey, we want to look at a, you know, a new card processor or we want to, you know, work with a new online banking vendor or we want to innovate in some new area. And so our customer vendors will come to us and say, hey, can you hook us up with partners, right? And likewise, we get a lot of other folks out there that are coming to us going, hey, can you help hook us up with those partners when they're looking, right? We want to be in the conversation. And so we have worked out how to vet technology and we put them into our partner network and we've got these vetted folks that are all vetted out. So when somebody comes along, I can say, hey, here's my two or three favorites in that category. And there's shades of gray, right? Somebody's stronger on the commercial side and somebody's stronger on the retail side or somebody works with ag banks and somebody works with commercial banks. There's reasons that there isn't always a single best of breed, but the difference between the top and the bottom is pretty clear. And uh, turning what I call the ocean into a pond, that's what we're all trying to do, right? And speed up the innovation process. That's a wonderful spot to end um, with the final question of, uh, especially on your point, Tanner, with kind of the FinTech distribution network and everything that you guys are bringing together. Um, what's the best way to engage with you guys? What's the best way to start a conversation with FedFizz? Um, should they just send up a smoke signal? What's what's the best way to get in touch? Smoke signal is perfect. No, something we intentionally do. Um, we are not, uh, as you would imagine, Zach, easy to get a hold of. And so... Uh, we have uh, Bobby Button is our uh, SVP of, of sales and, and integration. And so what Bobby does for us, you know, obviously, as you'd imagine, most shops, right? We all understand what head of sales looks like. But he is wildly involved in the product side. And I would tell you right now, he may be the smartest guy in banking because of that. He has looked at more products than anyone else possibly could. Like he, he basically lives in a constant like Finnovate, right? And so he's sort of that, wow. that gatekeeper. Uh, he tells me what he likes. And so when people go to him and show him a demo and talk about how we could partner and things, he brings to dad and I things that he thinks are really cool and interesting. So he is the absolute best in the world to talk to if, uh, if you want to get on our radar. And uh, also, he's more knowledgeable than we are in a lot of these areas because he's seen more than even we have. Right. So he lives in the data and he lives in the products all day and talks to everybody. Uh, so Bobby Button, shout out to Bobby. Bobby Button, Button at FedFizz. <laughs> I yeah. love it. We, we could give you the call this 800 number, but uh, honestly, hit FedFizz.com and hit contact us. Go to LinkedIn, connect with us. Uh, it's not hard to find us, but we don't want to make it so damned easy that we get inundated by every knucklehead in the world either. So. Yeah. Make it a little work. I'm with you. Well, speaking yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, speaking of that, I appreciate you guys taking the time to hang out with me. I always learn a lot talking to you guys and it's just, it's a good time. And in the midst of COVID, it's, it's really good to hear your guys' voices since I probably won't be seeing you guys in Austin or anything this year. It doesn't look like so. Um, hopefully 2021 and we, we got to talk before then, obviously, but I hope I see you guys soon. Oh, heck yeah. Hey, thanks for having us. Same here, buddy. Enjoyed it. Always <laughs> have a good time with you. I hope you enjoyed this wonderful episode of For Fintech's Sake with Dave and Tanner. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please press that button on your favorite podcast platform. And if you really love the show, which 
I guess you're still listening, so I hope you do. Please leave a review. We'd be honored to receive a five-star rating, and if you want to write something nice or just give us a five-star rating and write something mean, the NLP's not that good, so we're focused on the five-star rating. And if you want to get in touch with me and learn more about Bond or just talk it out during these incredibly trying and somewhat exhausting times, please reach out. You can get in touch with me via email at Zach at For Fintech's Sake or a much faster answer at Zach at Bond.Tech. And you can holler at me on Twitter anytime at Zach Pettit or at For Fintech's Sake. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high and make time for you. You deserve it. See you next week. <laughs>